everybody, and welcome back to 99 Potions, the fanbite role-playing games podcast. I am one of your hosts, not the host that you remember as doing your intro last week, because John is taking a well-deserved and long, long, long overdue vacation, I would say. Uh, but that does just leave us here today on <laughs> our second ever episode of this podcast, kind of uh, flying by the seat of our pants just a little bit. So apologies for any kind of weird or awkward intros ahead of time, but it's going to be a great episode anyway. It doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because I am still Steven Strom and I am joined still by Natalie Flores. Hello, I am still Natalie and still Flores. <laughs> wow. Okay. You kept them both. <laughs> yes. Um... What is your new title? I forget. It is the Featured, featured Contributor. Featured oh, Contributor. Hi, thank you. <laughs> I memorized it because I was like, man, what a title. Look at her go. What a title. Queen. Thank you, John. We miss you and we hope you're having a good break. Yeah, absolutely. We're yelling at him in Slack to stop sending work messages. While Please, yeah. <laughs> I saw him uh, post a picture of a big chicken at a museum and I was like, good for him. Yeah, honestly, yeah. he loves to post. John takes some of the... Hold on. Before I go too much farther, <laughs> I should say that we are welcoming back to the site, to fanbite.com, for the first time ever on 99 Potions, but not for the first time on a fanbite podcast. Ty Gallis Rowe. Hello. Hi. Hello. Welcome to my what? TED Talk. Um, hello. Uh-huh. Is it is... a TED Talk or is it t- TEDx? Which one did you get? Uh, pro- I mean, considering probably TEDx, let's be yeah, real. Yeah, let's be, yeah. I mean, anybody on this call is probably more of a TEDx fodder, but honestly, <laughs> you know what, the TEDx's are the ones where they actually, like, you know, let some interesting shit in and aren't just a yeah. bunch of, like, really also, boring honest- guys. Yeah, like, honestly, I've seen way more TEDx talks than I have actual TED talks, so. Yeah. No, that's fair. Totally fair. They on Netflix. This is nothing. This is not what this podcast is about. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a role-playing games podcast. Where we talk about role-playing games. Uh, like I said, this is only episode two, so we're still getting our feet under us a little bit with it. Uh, but the general gist of it is that each week we're going to have a basic topic about the role-playing game genre in terms of video games. And maybe other types of games, but, you know, in the RPG milieu. And this week, we have one that is to say a topic that is very near and dear to Ty's heart. I know, because I... Uh, edited a piece of theirs on the website not too long ago about this very thing. And uh, Natalie, when Natalie had the idea to do this episode, the first mm-hmm. name that uh, she came up with to have as a guest was you, Ty. Uh, and that topic is the sexiest monsters in RPGs. And just like general, like hot monsters in RPGs and like the concept of hot monsters. We're not just going to be sitting here ranking everybody or anything like that. We're going to be kind of going a little bit more broad, but that's kind of the general gist. Here we are equal opportunity monster fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) We don't rank. We are equal opportunity. We appreciate all kinds of monsters here. Although I do have a monster fucking uh, spectrum that I can uh, send to anybody who needs it so you can kind of place where you're at. Okay. Is that uh, that like a... Uh, what is it called? Survey Monkey? Is oh that... no, it's a it's an image. Uh, an I made image. a I made like a you know you know those gender sliders. Yes, I do. I made one <laughs> of those, but for monster fucking. Do you have that oh, handy? That. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna send it to the chat right now. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. It's also worth noting that we specifically asked Ty on this episode because Ty has actually written one of the most fun pieces on the website, which is what the video game monster girl of your dreams says about you. So be sure to check out that article to find out what yeah. video game monster girl um, says about you. Oh or God, I forgot one. about I forgot about Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> that's a oh boy that was a game huh yeah a lot of people when i tweeted uh when i was doing research for that original article a lot of people were like lost from dante's inferno and i was like i did not finish that game so i did not meet this woman but yeah she i want to say i want to say that she ha- shoots out evil babies from her nipples at you i want to say that that's something right that i never played that game but i remember that getting talked about because that's the kind of thing that gets talked about i feel like <laughs> And who that we certainly will talk about. Yes. Uh, who is this big lady on the 
far right, right to the left of Abriatus, daughter of the cosmos. Uh, she's from. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck! I can't remember what her name is. She's like from Near or something, I think. Oh, like the first Near. Yeah, she was a she was an audience suggestion. Um, Interesting. And looking at her, I was like, well, that's th- that's only a lady in the loosest sense of the word. So yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, gotta you know, <laughs> honestly, this uh. I noticed, like, kind of a, a how this spectrum goes is, like, you've got mostly humanoid to extremely monstrous. And, like, it makes sense. You've got on the far, far left towards mostly humanoid, we have the nurse from Silent Hill. And then we do just get into, like, spider centaurs from that point forward. Like, it does seem mm-hmm. like there is kind of a mm-hmm. very specific body shift that a lot of video games like to Yeah, address. RPGs especially love a spider, a spider lady. That's um, true. Yeah. I don't know why. Fantasy is absolutely enamored with spiders you can also fuck. Yeah. I wonder why, I mean, because they're, like spiders are usually put into RPGs for no other reason, just to be creepy and yeah. make you uncomfortable, but then they're also really horny if you make them a lady. Yeah. So, like, remember when, what was the sequel to Shadow of Mordor? Shadow of War. Came, Shadow of War, they were like, let's turn Shalab into a hot shapeshifter lady. <laughs> it's funny you say that, Ty. I have a note here in the show notes <laughs> that just says, remember when they turned Shalab from Lord of the Rings into a sexy lady? Wild times. <laughs> But that was also frustrating because they didn't turn her into, like, a spider lady. She's just, like, a spider and also a lady. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of unclear how that whole thing works in that whole universe. She just kind of, like, I don't know. She doesn't even really shapeshift. She's just, like, sometimes she's a spider and sometimes she's not. Yeah, sometimes she's spider, sometimes she lady. Um, Sometimes she's just kind of a boring lady. Kind of like a lot of the characters in the Middle Earth games, I feel like. They're just kind of boring people. I like the those games were like a podcast game for me for a while before the mm. orc stuff, especially in the second one, just got to be like really fucking unbearable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every time I talked to her, I was like, "Spider or lady, what's it gonna be?" And then I was like, "This is just disappointing, regardless, because I mean, they're just sitting here talking to a large bug, or I'm talking to this lady who could just be anybody." Like, <sighs> yeah. Lord of the Rings needs to be hornier, honestly. I feel like they had those movies came in just under the wire on like horny being acceptable. I feel like Is yeah. that does that make sense to you? Like it's the just, internet like, it's hadn't also, quite gotten there yet. Yeah, I think it's also interesting too because like I feel like a lot of like quote unquote classic fantasy is horny. Oh yeah, but I feel like Tolkien never really quite got there. Like that man, <laughs> his writing always felt like a chase nerd to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that shows in, like, he has some interesting creatures in those books, but none of them are, like, fuckworthy, I would say. Right. Unless maybe if you're into trees, I don't know, the ants might do something for you. Yeah, I don't, they never really go into the, the, a lot of stuff about how ants die. This is also getting completely off topic. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be the person who helps <laughs> us keep this on the straight and narrow. I mean, we're um, talking about fantasy. We're talking about that's monsters. True. We're, we're talking about the, the, the yeah, the, the basis for where a lot of this comes from, because a lot of RPGs are just basically rooted in D&D and Tolkien, right? Yeah, well, and the thing is, right, I put it in the notes down further, but, like, the thing with D&D is that aside from being inherently racist, it's also deeply inherently horny. Oh, yeah. Um, so... You have the, what is it, the fucking Chad, Lord of the Ring, or the Chad uh, D&D and the fucking nerd virgin uh, Lord of the Rings. That's, oh, sure. That's fantasy. Chad. <laughs> I was going to say, Natalie, it sounded like you maybe wanted to say something in there. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I just thought the Chad thing was funny. Just oh. <laughs> imagining like a frat boy version of an RPG. None. I'm telling you, Wizards of the Coast is the chat, and that's been proven recently, <laughs> time oh, yeah. and time again. Yeah. Wizards yeah. of the Coast is the frat house of the RPG world. I mean, God, I'm just thinking about like how this is a slightly off topic from that, but it's just, I'm just thinking about like Chad versus Virgin in, in this <laughs> and the spectrum of like monsters and stuff like that. And I am thinking about how like yeah, we have seen kind of a shift from like Lord of the Rings, like you know the orcs, they're like weird little goblins, but they're kind of, like, taller, uh, unclear exactly what's going on with them. Orakai now. Okay, we're getting taller. We're getting a lot more, like, muscular, six-pack. Yeah, Orakai are pretty shredded. Oh, yeah. Shredded and very wet and oily at all times. They're basically pro wrestlers. 
just got the wettest hair uh, at all yeah. times. Looking like Roman Reigns out there. They uh, do always look wet, don't they? They do look wet, though, don't they? That's we can we can add this to the agenda maybe later down. But when we're talking about what makes monsters sexy, we should talk about their like moisture versus dryness factor. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking because I was looking out here, I see somebody mentioned. Uh, I couldn't imagine who added this, but Raphael from uh, Baldur's Gate Three, the Demon Boy. Oh my God, who did that? Wow. <laughs> That's whomst among us. This dog is haunted. Well, I don't know who it was, but I will speak for them uh, when the time comes, if need be. Mm. I still don't know who it is, though. But I was just, yeah, I guess I was just thinking about, like, how over time we've definitely seen kind of, like, a shift in spectrum. Just as people have played with stock fantasy tropes in general and stuff like that and like changing the status quo you go from like tolkien type stuff with elves being like the beautiful completely like you know eurocentric um tall slender pale people and then you go to like dragon age origins and it's like they're the like bottom rung of the caste-based society right um Mm -hmm. and then i'm thinking about (laughs) Uh, And then I think about, like, you know, orcs, and then I think about, like, this has been on my mind because of Baldur's Gate 3, the the Githyanki, which are, like, a major factor in Baldur's Gate 3, too, are just basically, like, what if if we made orcs, like, but just, like, had a slightly different backstory to them that allowed them to, like, dress up and be hot, I think, personally. Orcs have feelings, too, and they deserve the right to be hot. They certainly do. do. I feel yeah, like honestly, not everybody do deserves that. the right to be hot um, if they so choose. Slap on a crop top, live your best life. Um, yeah, but bring back the '90s, truly. That's what I'm here for. I've yeah. come to the realization that like I'm just like a skitty, shitty grunge skater boy from the '90s, and I just mm. like need to have everyone pull that aesthetic back. God, yeah. Um, I mean, I see all these Zoomers out there talking about how millennials uh, just are obsessed with the 90s and how the 90s suck. And let me tell you, the 90s were a time where it was acceptable for all men to wear crop tops and nobody batted an eye. And that, and that is the makes kind it of the superior era. Exactly. Not that this is related to monsters, really, because Winnie the Pooh is not a monster, but talking about about crop tops makes me think of Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) because when I was little, my godmother convinced me to hate Winnie the Pooh because he was gay, and like, I, I don't know if he's gay, but she told me he's gay, so you should hate him, and I was like, oh, okay, so then the joke's on me. Because, first of all, I'm queer now. Well, I was going to say, all, the, really, the joke's on her. The joke's on, yeah. And then, like, I think about crop tops, because, like, Winnie the Pooh really just wears a crop top. Like, really he does. just goes around wearing a crop top and no pants, and that's really bottom energy. Anyway, this has nothing to do with monsters or RPGs, but, like, that's just, like, some. I, I think of him when I think of crop tops and my internalized homophobia when I was little. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is in Kingdom Hearts, which means he's in an RPG. Now, he is oh, definitely different from Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin is a normal human boy, right? So yes. that means that Winnie the Pooh is othered in the society of normal oh humans. Oh my god, Stephen. Oh no, goodness. you cannot use my argument against me to say that Winnie the Pooh is a monster. The other citizens of the Hundred Acre Woods are also stuffed animals, okay? Yeah. Then that brings us to how Christopher we define Robin is the monster. Monsters. He is mm. the he is the outsider. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And how uh, do we define monsters, Stephen or Ty? It sounds like Ty has an argument for this. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I think I, so too. I have like an article sitting in my drafts for Uppercut because Monty drives me nuts with her wanting to fuck Lucario shit, um, <laughs> and. If you don't know what that is, just go at Fried Monty on Twitter and you'll see soon enough, I'm sure. Um, oh, I, I'm aware that people in general want to fuck Lucario. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, yeah no. I just mean, like, for the audience, Pokemon. like, if they're like, who's Monty and why does she care about Lucario? Oh. <laughs> uh, Monty is the editor at large at Uppercut, one of my dear, dear best friends. And uh, she is really horny for Lucario, uh, which is fine. But we fight because she's like, that's monster fucking because Pokemon are monsters and they're not. Pokemon, despite being pocket monsters, as people like to gotcha with me all the time, are not (laughs) monsters because 
monsters are things that do not occur naturally in whatever setting they're in and who, like, do not have their own societies and shit. Like, if you have a culture and a civilization, like, you're not monsters unless, like, you know, there could be other cultures who maybe say you are, but that's just, like, racist. Um, But, like, the Mm. main thing I always think of is, like, so the mother from Dragon Age Origins Awakening, right? She is a monster because darkspawn are not naturally occurring or they're not supposed to be according to the lore. Like they poison the world. They're, you know, they're not supposed to be there and they weren't always there. And the mother is especially monstrous because she was awoken, which is also not supposed to happen. Um, so she's got double whammy of like shit that should not be going on. And yet here she is screaming at you. Um, yeah. Well, that's a mood. so that's what i think of so like um too so like i don't consider like the alien races in like mass effect to be monsters with the exception of like the banshees the banshees are monsters because they're monsters for the asari like banshees are not supposed to be a thing they're like like when we see morinth in mass effect 2 like samara talks about you know how she's so upset that all of her daughters ended up being this way and like they are considered to be monstrous um because they're mm. not normal Asari, and they're not, like, supposed to be that way. Mm. Mm. I like this argument, yeah. Because in our show notes, we have, like... So, we're wondering about what defines being a monster, because it all depends, right? Like, is is there some sort of arbitrary level of humanness that you have to meet? Like, are the Vera from... Final Fantasy monsters, or Iron Bull from Dragon Age, or Girl of Rivia, or um, the aliens from Mass Effect. It just, I think that's a really good sort of standard to start by. I hadn't really like thought of it in that way, but I find myself agreeing with you because it is kind of hard to figure out like what do we deem monstrous and what do we deem as in proximity of what is quote-unquote normal and like how is that you know how does the concept of normal sort of contradict itself with being a monster yeah i see i like this argument too i think i disagree with (laughs) hi ty welcome to the podcast for the first time ever i'm here to argue with you about (laughs) this very well thought out argument no let's do it (laughs) Okay, I think that this brushes up into a thing of, into like an argument of of broadness and spectrum of like what is natural versus unnatural and what defines, what defines something being unnatural versus uh, being natural because that, the distinction between natural and unnatural is a thing that is designed by people within the societies that they live within. So like a darkspawn mm-hmm. being unnatural is like who decided on that? Well, the humans and the elves and the whatevers the kunari um and whatnot in that universe and i think that there are different levels of like how that treatment can manifest in a world and i think that you need to well a i think that most games rpgs are probably better at this than most other genres actually because they are so world building dependent but most games probably don't go this deep into like you know the societal rules around stuff i would almost argue that pokemon do fall into this category specifically because while they are viewed as like a natural part of the world. I think there is there are arguments to be made for like you go see Detective Pikachu and whatnot, and like how Pokemon are being used as like batteries to power the world and stuff like that. It's like oh, this is useful, but also are they really equals within this <laughs> in this world yeah. in this way? You know. Well, and I don't think like I don't. I mostly make that argument just because like to me like. I don't, like, Iron Bull isn't a monster because the Kunari are a race, right? Like, they're a civilization, they have a culture, they have their own language and stuff like that, and there are multiples of them, you know? Yeah, Iron Bull is a monster because he's a cop. True. Um, (laughs) But, like, so, like, to me, like, it is kind of a situation of, like, I do think it, like, I just personally can't fuck with, like, fantasy races being called monsters because to me that's more like fantasy racism than like actual monstrosity Mm. um and my thing with pokemon as well is that like i think that like whatever is considered to be a monster quote-unquote has to have something like abhorrent tied to it in Mm. its existence so i think there are monstrous pokemon but i don't think all pokemon are monsters i see okay 
I, th- I almost feel like I want there to be, and I'm sure there is another word to like kind of differentiate between like monster as like, you know, like the, like games where monsters and being a monster and like, this is not just in games. This is in all kinds of media where it's just like a normal thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. for as many problems as that game apparently has, I, did, I didn't play it, but that monster prom game that came out a uh, year or yeah. two ago. Um, you know, being a monster, everybody in that game is like a weird ghost or a vampire or, or but, yeah, well, that's a definitely like taking the like monster mash definition of monsters. Right. And, and I feel like there is a, there is a monster, like I I want there to be two different words, one for like the monster mash definition of monster where it's just like, ah, it's monsters as a general concept to become like more of an accepted thing in culture as just like a thing that exists uh, and aren't viewed necessarily the same way that, like, Dracula was when movies like Dracula came out. Yeah. Uh, versus, like, monsters as, like, actual, like, abominations, you know? Yeah, and I think my thing is more, like, I lean into more... I guess I'm an abomination fucker, maybe, then? Mm. I don't know. Oh, no. Um, Again, I don't I don't want to, like, tear down your world. No, I think, like I think you're right, though. Like, it's hard with the, with the terminology, because, you know... Language is limiting, Derrida, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's hard, yeah, because, like, to me, the attraction, especially from, like, a queer lens, is coming from the idea of, like, this thing inherently has something that, like, the world has deemed abhorrent and, like, wrong or, like, you know, sees it as being malformed or whatever. And then that's, yeah. like, such a bridge into, like, self-acceptance and like you know facing yourself as far as like your attractions to like people who are considered to be you know shit that society doesn't want like disability or queerness or like there's so much stuff tied into monstrousness and so that's more like what i the lens that i look at it through and that's why i'm like no pokemon don't count shut the fuck up (laughs) and i think actually that really goes a long way towards like where my kind of like opposite end of the argument comes from because i think that there's there is the very obvious, like, pitchfork and torches um, society doesn't want you version of it. And then I think that I would expand my definition to include uh, a much more, like, personalized... Because, again, a lot of this legwork is being done by me mentally because, again, a lot of these universes are just not interested in building this kind of um, narrative in the text. But, mm-hmm. in like, including the more neoliberal, like, oh, yeah, we like having you around, but only in very specific circumstances. As long as you know your place, you're fine to have around or whatever. As long as, hey, Pikachu, as long as you keep charging our batteries, you're cool with us. As long as you keep fighting for us, you're cool with us. But, the, but you know, you have to fill this particular role. I'm using Pokemon here, which I don't think is a perfect analogy just because yeah. Pokemon are a weird thing. But... Things like, um, let me look over some of our examples here. It's like, I mean, like, so going back to Dragon Age Awakening, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing it. That's kind of the situation (laughs) with the mother and the architect, right? Like, Mm. your character is afraid of and mistrustful of both. Right. But the mother, because she has been through so much trauma, because, like, becoming a broodmother in the first place is a horrifying traumatic event... Um, and then, like, being awakened, she now remembers that and, like, remembers her human life and stuff. So she's just, like, fucked. Whereas the architect, you know, is, quote unquote, useful to some degree. Like, he's not just <laughs> trying to, like, you know, he's not just pissed off because he exists and has to live with the ordeal of existing like the right. mother is. Like, he is actively doing stuff that could benefit the player. So the architect is, like, I mean, one, he's visually less monstrous because he's not, like, a giant titty monster with tentacles. Right. Um, but two... open face. Yeah. Um, but two, he's, like, you know, actively potentially useful to the player. And so that creates, like, more of a... Because, like, right, in that, in that DLC, you have to kill the mother. You don't get a choice to side with her. But, right. like, the architect is given some agency because of his potential for use. I love this. This is good. This is a good back and forth on on this thing. I do want to rope in Natalie real quick just to see if you like had anything you wanted to weigh in with on here. And then I was going to say um, right after that, using both definitions, if, the, if that's OK with everybody here, if we could just go over some of our favorite monsters and uh, under whatever we choose to decide, you know, just yes. so we can kind of like do a general appreciation. Yeah. Um, so. I love both of your arguments, and I don't know exactly. I think I maybe fall in the middle, and I'm not trying to like, you know, <laughs> like not a centrist. To pick which divorced parent she's going to go live with. I'm 
I'm not trying to sort of play the center, but it it's just so interesting to think about because um, you bring up the point of what the people in these worlds consider to be normal and how that you know separates what is monstrous and what is not. But there's another level on top of that, which is that all these worlds are created by human beings and mm-hmm. created by us. And so, like, what is it that we... Mm. Um, consider to be normal and what do we consider to be monstrous and how does that uh, reflect in the people that we exclude in narratives even if they're fantasy and otherworldly narratives and which ones we deem as acceptable like I think Geralt is a really from The Witcher 3 and The Witcher series as a whole obviously um, is a really interesting yeah he's not just in The Witcher 3 he's also in 1 and 2 and in the 7 books Uh, (laughs) he's really interesting because he is so close to what we in the real world consider to be not monstrous right he looks like a human being and he is a human being and he looks like a regular man sort of on the outside but in the narrative of the witcher especially in the books um it's really explored that he deals with a lot of insecurities because of the way that society perceives him. Like, in the world of the Witcher, Witchers are monsters that are uh, modified through what is known as the Trial of Grasses, and they are sort of essentially like medieval lab experiments where Mm -hmm. um, if they survive the experiment, they are gifted with... uh, the ability to, you know, pick up uh, sense, to uh, have their witcher senses, their eyesight is enhanced, etc. They can um, drink, like, but, poisons, and instead of killing them, the poisons give them weird abilities. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and their eyes turn very, like... They the white parts. Of, yeah, they got cat mm-hmm. eyes, and sometimes when if Geralt drinks enough potions, like, his skin will turn very veiny and blue and... Yeah. It's it's unsettling to see, but it's like, do we typically define Geralt as a monster? Because we tend to talk about him as a person, but in the world of The Witcher, he is explicitly ostracized and actually wrestles in the narrative yeah. of the books with the fact that he's he sees himself as a monster. He sees himself as someone who is marginalized and who is always going to be on the outskirts of society. And that is what leads to a lot of conflict between him and Yennefer because he's not able to love himself and thus he doesn't think that he's worthy of sort of receiving her love in return. And that deals... And it's really interesting. Um, The games don't really show it, but in the books, he really deals with a lot of um, internal you know, struggles with uh, his feelings of being accepted by society at large. So then it it brings to question whether we see him as a monster and to which degrees, because it's it's interesting, right? Like, usually we sort of agree that in a fantasy world, say, the broodmother in the narrative is seen as a monster, and we see the broodmother as a monster too. But with the Witcher and Geralt in the narrative the world of the witcher sees him as a monster but we on the outside the ones who created the witcher or like the people who created the witcher in the first place like we are more inclined to see him as a human being than the people in the world of the witcher so it's am i making sense like yeah. you are the other thing that i think is interesting <laughs> to bring up with Geralt specifically though that I'm sorry, I'm going to do it again. You can also tie it to Dragon Age and the Grey Wardens. So the idea, and it's something that, like, I do think is an interesting trope in media of the idea of consuming the monster and becoming part of them to defeat them. And, like, that's what Geralt and Grey Wardens both do, right? Because the Trial of Grasses and, like, all of the mutagens that you use are from monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing goes with the Grey Wardens. Like, they have to drink Darkspawn blood and shit um, to be able to gain the sensory powers. Um... Also so, has a very low survival rate. Yes, also yes. has a very low survival rate. Same for the and witchers. If you don't do it, a man will stab you. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I think I think I would argue that Geralt is a monster because he has been made one, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not like he is truly, literally like in the world, the things that are considered to be monsters are part of him physically. Um, so I think that that would count, and also like. Yeah, I don't know. It brings out the kind of shittiest, worst part. Like, we could go into a whole talk about how Geralt, like, is a weird representation of, like, monstrousness and masculinity because of, like, the whole Mm -hmm. 
they can't feel, except J.K. Geralt clearly feels, and, like, it's a yeah, whole thing. Yeah, the world believes that he can't feel, like, or, or they, they treat him that way and stuff like that. Like, it, it's it very clearly, because we get a lot of interiority through Geralt, just in the books, yeah, but also just in the games, too, because he, like, is his own boss a lot of times. This is a kind of a thing I have really liked to see get become more this is almost its own podcast topic but it's the thing I've liked to see a lot more of in games where like the agency is determined by the character because people realize that they didn't need to necessarily have a like what's his name Atlas from Bioshock like they didn't need to have a voice in your ear constantly telling you what you're supposed to be doing at all times so that your <laughs> character is just like kind of a walking mouthpiece obviously the original Bioshock does does a thing where they play with that but like you know in the years since we've seen more games like the witcher where it's like Geralt's decisions are his own and we hear him talking to himself and monologuing about them and whatnot so we get a lot of like oh well obviously he's a person inside um even though the world treats him very poorly like literally the first thing that happens in witcher 3 is you get into a massive fight outside of a bar because uh people call you a mutant and uh make fun of you and uh talk shit and try to start some fights, you know? Yeah. And what makes it interesting is that the world of The Witcher is also filled with such interesting designs of monsters, while those are arguably seen as more normal than Geralt because he's been made into a monster. So I just think he's such an interesting point of reference in this conversation, and I wanted to bring up my uh, daddy. Also, the monsters in The Witcher... Like, the the other monsters, like, the normal animalistic monsters aren't even really, like, it's a weird thing, because, like... Because they're the not lore, naturally occurring, technically. But... They come from other planes of existence. Mm-hmm. Like, they there was, like, they are invasive species from a pl- parallel from realities. Like, yeah, like, from the elf world or whatever, like... yeah. But I love that um, people adjusted and were like, yeah, this giant manticore is the same as a cockroach to me, but this man with cat eyes who kills them, <laughs> fuck him. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that, oh God. Uh, an entire episode about Geralt and the Witcher series is probably, you know, due at some point, honestly. But we can move on. Definitely. Talk about some other stuff and just kind of talk about some of our favorite monsters because this feels like a good segue to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hell yeah. Ty... I kind of know some of your favorite monsters from the article on fanbike.com, mm-hmm. but do you want to maybe kind of kick us off with, like, if you had to pick one, who was your absolute favorite monster, um, like, in terms of pure attractiveness? Uh, pure attractiveness. Okay. Uh, probably Shocker, the mother from Dragon Age 3. I just love her, or Dragon Age Awakening, not 3. Fuck Inquisition. Um, I think... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just... I just uh, fucking Marge Simpson meme. I just think she's neat. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. Uh, like, I don't know. Is there because again, she's kind of a very I think kind of a very classic monstrous woman design in mm-hmm. the milieu of video games. I, am I saying milieu right? Milo is that the word? Oh, I don't know. I've only ever Plethora seen Plethora of video games. <laughs> inject another word in there because I mispronounce everything. Uh, well, I'm a writer, not a speaker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but why? Give us give us the why, Ty. Yeah. Well, so yeah. I've always been really captivated by the broodmothers. Like, I remember the first time I played through that sequence, it was like a weird time because, right, so you go into the deep roads. Sorry, spoilers for this like 11 year old game Um, but like when you go to the deep roads you find out that the person that you're trying to find bronca like basically dipped on augra and her husband to go on like a deep roads adventure with her lesbian lover um right this is a dwarf like yeah this is like by the way yeah this is like the main meat of what ends up being the dwarf storyline um and so i was i was pulled in because you find out that bronca's queer down there and I was like you know like 15 year old me was like oh that's interesting okay this video game's pretty gay um and then you get to the part with the brood mother and it's just like and you meet this one dwarf lady who like I don't know if she escaped or if she's just waiting to be taken yeah I don't know either I oh, don't know if it's ever explicit oh, it's it's her it's Bronca's partner the lady like you find her and she talks about like how she basically describes how broodmothers are made through this really fucked up like rhyme 
Um, and it's really, really messed up. Like, it's all about, like, cannibalism and, like, probably sexual assault. Um, yeah. And it's just, like, awful. Origins and it's, like, dark. it's such a gnarly bit of, like... Origins is dark, and as much as I like it and think that it, like, has a lot of nuance and thought, a lot of the sexual violence stuff in that game is really fucked up. But it left a big impression on me as a kid, well, like a 15-year-old, and then when I played Awakening, I was like, oh shit, there's one that talks? Um, And that was cool, and I liked that she, like, the mother looks more human than other broodmothers do. Like, even though she's got the scary, like, split-open face, like, when her mouth is closed, it's largely a human face. Um, And I, like, I personally really like the blending of, like, human features and, like, quote-unquote monstrous or, like, animalistic features. Um, So I like the face that, like, looks normal until it opens into the big scary split mandibles shit. Yeah, the Blade 2 vampire-looking thing. Um, Yes, very into that. Um, And two, like, the more you dig into her story, like, I just, like, like her character arc. And, like, it sucks because it's kind of tropey in the sense of women, but, like, it's just so unfortunate because, like, like, she's very much, I think, an example of that world wherein, like, is, like, misogyny and stuff isn't necessarily inherent to the world, but, like violence and like not caring about the little person absolutely is yeah and like her whole motivation is the fact that like she got turned into a dark spawn and then the architect awakened her and because she is awake she remembers now and like those memories are like so painful and like having to exist and be sentient in this state is so much for her that she just doesn't want to do it and she doesn't want any of the other dark spawn who are experiencing it to have to suffer in that way either um, and so, like, I just like that in the sense of, like, she's doing everything she's doing in an attempt to regain her agency that was taken from her, because her whole thing is just, like, agency after agency taken away, because she gets turned into a broodmother, and then the architect awakens her, and, like, this, even if it's, like, not maybe the best plan or the most coherent one, like, her whole thing in Awakening is just, like, trying to get her agency back, or at least trying to make the architect pay for taking it from her. Sure. Um, and I dig that. Yeah. I definitely agree that, like, I mean, Dragon Age in general, get, I mean, fantasy in general can get pretty tropey with some of that stuff, like, right down to the idea that, like, oh, the, the female Darkspawns are all baby machines. Great. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, the whole thing by itself. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like, but for me, Dragon Age Origins and Awakening, like, that whole kind of thing, like... <sighs> is still pretty much the high point of that series to me. I know that's not the most popular opinion, uh, even today, but... You're right, and you should say it. Thank God. Thank thank you for letting me know that I'm in a safe space here. That's all I needed. <laughs> um, finally. Yeah, but, like, that was the time that they are... Because they, they do fumble a lot with it. Bioware fumbled a lot with it uh, in terms of, like, tropiness and stuff. But at the same time, they were, like, way more interested in trying to explore that stuff. Like, the... The whole dwarf society in that first game and when they set that stuff out with the casts and the deep roads and all that stuff, like, it's so fucking fascinating. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, that's my thing with Dragon Um, Age Origins specifically is, like, it has so many really fucked up, like, problematic parts of its storytelling. mm -hmm. But you can tell, like, they were trying to, like, do it in a way that was, like, at least having a conversation within the text as opposed to just being like, isn't slavery fun flavor text? Yeah, right, oh. exactly. And so, uh, like, I mean, like, it's it's brutal, and I think it's oftentimes done poorly, but I think you can tell that, like, there was at least an intent to, like, explore those topics to some degree. Totally, yeah. I mean, when that when the game came out or was coming out, I remember that was the first time I ever heard the, the phrase Game of Thrones because... Game of Thrones was not a TV series yet, and they were specifically citing Game of Thrones as an influence for, like, the kind of fantasy that they were going towards um, when they were in development. And um, I think that, like, a lot of things, like Game of Thrones, the, Thrones, the TV series, I think they kind of, like, take the wrong lessons from, like, what dark looks like, and which is just to say, like, what if it's just fucked up, you know? Um, <laughs> and I, But also, uh, like... Yeah, they were they were trying for something. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off topic again. Can't believe they never, you know, went back and did the last season. Like they just kind of stopped. Mm, yeah. And they never finished it. It's kind of weird. Much mm. like Dragon Age, it will never be finished. 
<laughs> no. Oh, that one hurts. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Um, unlike Ty, I have the list. Um, even though Ty is like prime monster fucker, I have quite the list. Okay, so... Yeah, I was going to say, Natalie, I, Natalie dabbles in the art. Natalie's I not. I dabble, but it wasn't until you came along that I was like, maybe I am a monster fucker. That's, I and feel that's like my been, sole purpose yeah. in life is just to like awaken the worst parts of people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sounds that, like a good plan. And you know what? We're thankful for it, okay? So, um... You're the architect of, <laughs> yeah. to us, Ty. I am the architect of monster fucking. It's me awakening all of you. The harbinger of monster fucking. <laughs> oh, okay, so, um... So, this is weird because I put Garrus on here, but I do agree with uh, Ty's definition of... Like, I really agree with the whole, you know, what is not naturally occurring, and in... Mass Effect, if there's any race that might be a monster in terms of the lore, it might just be the humans, actually, just because, yeah, (laughs) yeah, like, they are not used to seeing humans, and they're like, oh, these, like, flimsy little people who, like, live only for, like, a hundred years or less, and so, if anything, Aturians are probably the most normalized race in Mass Effect, along with the Asari. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to shout out um, Garrus, because he is my ultimate husband, along with Solus in Dragon Age Inquisition. I'm sorry, the, the taste of Spirity is quite wow. big there. He's, but also, he's also got one of them scary mouths, so I get it. Yeah, he does have and, scary mouths. Yeah, and so he is normalized in the world of Mass Effect, but... In terms of me, my experiences, and the worlds in which we as a society inhabit, I do very starkly remember telling my mom, look at him, I'm so in love with him, and her legitimately screaming when she saw him. Because she was like, what is that like cockroach bird cat thing? And what are what's going on with his teeth? And I was just like, mother, like, listen, like I thought he was ugly too, and I still think he's ugly, but he's like so good. And, like so wonderful but yeah i remember i think mass effect was the start of at least dabbling into the whole uh the territory of finding attraction and things that are not quote-unquote normal just because i very much remember before i got into mass effect looking at people fawn over garris and being like what the fuck are you guys doing like that's like a fucking like t-rex like that shit that's like so ugly he is so ugly why do people love this man so much and then me getting to mass effect one and being like oh my god he's so ugly but i love him so much Mm -hmm. so uh i need to shout out garris even though he is normalized in the world of mass effect uh garrett of rivia is also one of my favorite monsters obviously he is daddy he is my king i would die for him um (laughs) we love him we stan garrett of rivia in this household uh uh you just love to... a man who loves his wife. <laughs> yeah. Natalie stands a wife guy, which is why <laughs> she likes me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, throwback to earlier in the podcast when Stephen mentioned Raphael from Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, for reference, that is the demon boy that has shown up in the latest trailer and that has like a fairly lengthy conversation with the protagonist and that... We saw a screen of back when the first sort of um, pieces of coverage of the game came out, um, which we also had a podcast on at the time. Um, but yeah, he's like so hot. Oh my god, y'all. Like, yeah. Oh my god, like his shirt looks like it's about to come off. Like, just his <laughs> muscles. It's so nice. Like, I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't know you. But I trust you. And like... like You say directly into his pecs. Yeah. Like, oh my god, his... The broad shoulders, the large horns, the devil look, the voice, the way that he is dressed so proper, but it looks like it's about to break out of his, like, form. (laughs) He's so... I don't know him, and he could be the worst person ever, but I mean, he's just so hot. Like... Like, I already fell for the worst person ever who is not hot, a.k.a. Solus in Dragon Age Inquisition, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I've already gone there. I've been there. I've done that. Loved it. 
would do it again. Did it already five times in total because oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't play Dragon Age Inquisition and romance anyone else or Bioware games for that matter. I just romance the same person. I'm I'm a loyal bis, and so um, I might be a monster fucking hoe, but I'm a loyal monster fucking hoe. So mm. I think my eyes are set <laughs> on Raphael, but. There are so many, you know, compelling monsters in Baldur's Gate 3 that it just feels like a monster fucker's dream come true. And It I, really does. I can't wait. I'm so excited for all the plot and the story and, like, all the mystical wonders of Baldur's Gate 3. No, I'm ready for 400 the huge fucking. women to just destroy my character. <laughs> Same. Oh, my God. My, my bitch is going to have such a time in that game. Um, not gaming. I have to shout out the Shape of Water's Fishman. He, you know, is one of my loves. Also, uh, shout out to that actor because he made a whole career just playing Fishman. Oh, is that Doug Jones in that yeah. one, too? Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, he's like super hot and I I adore him and I I think I think like now that I look back, I'm like maybe I was a monster fucker all along cuz I remember when I was little, my mom's favorite Disney princess movie is Beauty and the Beast. And so we would always watch all Disney movies together and we would basically do everything together. And so I remember being like really disappointed when he turned into a human like i felt <laughs> so betrayed yeah no but she was like oh my god because she's a normie straight woman and she's like oh my god he's so pretty now and i was like are you kidding me like he was so much better looking as a beast and she was like what are you talking about he was literally a beast and i'm like i don't know i can't communicate it as like a 10 year old but he is much more attractive as a beast and now i'm like huh maybe there was something there Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I got a shout-out, Beast, uh, got a shout-out, uh, Thane in Mass Effect, but also, going back to Ty's argument, um, Thane in Divinity Original Sin 2, which Steven and I very much love, uh, mm-hmm. in that last episode, I confirmed that I boned before letting him die. <laughs> oh, God, uh, good. Steven loves the Red Prince, who is literally a lizard. Uh, how's that lizard. going, uh, Stephen? Did you did you get to finish Divinity already, or are you uh, in the process? So I haven't told anyone this t- yet today. So you're both the first two people in the world hearing this. <gasps> but um, but I did not sleep last night <laughs> at all. I never went to bed. <laughs> no, I, I have not slept since um, since Sunday night. Um, I thought because... you just left the game on because I could see your status <laughs> message, no. and then you're always on, and it's like playing Divinity Original Sin two. Nope, 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 nope. I played from 12, 12 like when I I woke up yesterday. I played Divinity Original Sin two until about lunchtime, and then I ate lunch, took a break for a little bit, and then from that point forward till seven o'clock this morning my time. I played Divinity Original Sin 2 and <laughs> rolled shit. credits on it at 7, 7 a.m. on the oh dot. Oh, my God. Holy <laughs> shit, Steven. Uh, we need to talk about that after the podcast. Um, if you can form a coherent thought after the podcast. I'm feeling um, okay, to, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah uh, do you, uh, Well, since I've already listed a few, do you want to start off by speaking about the wonderful monsters in Divinity Original Sin 2 to start off your list? God, yeah, I mean, I have a very eclectic taste on this one. I, I love that you both have, like, extremely good arguments about, like, you know, determining your tastes and, like, what defines a monster and, like, finding stuff that you, like, knew when you were younger and coming to realizations about it when you become older. And for me, I'm just, like, I like ones with big hips. They got them They got them <laughs> big, big childbearing hips on that big robot man. Who's that big robot man, you know? Um <laughs> Steven likes a thick robot, man. I like a thick robot. I do. I like Samuel Hayden. I mean, I like Garrus per, uh, specifically because basically uh, his from waist to hip his, ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's snatched. Uh, he is, his yeah, waist see? is so snatched. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look. Oh, oh but mm-hmm. and now if you just like approached an entire person with that kind of design in mind, I think you get Samuel Hayden from Doom, who's kind of like one of the main villains of Doom. Samuel Hayden, aka Sayden, if anybody had not picked up on that before. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, he's a big robot man who's, uh, he's like a rich dude who put his brain into a robot body so he could live forever. Um, and oh, that's a he, mood. 
Yeah, right? And then he steals your laser sword at the end of Doom. Uh, and I'm including Doom on this list because uh, Doom Eternal is so bloated with upgrade mechanics at this point that that is definitely an RPG now. <laughs> Plus, Doom RPG was a game um, on phones that you can't buy anymore, which is a huge bummer. But Hey, we counted uh, Winnie the Pooh earlier. So we like, yeah. didn't count Winnie the Pooh! <laughs> He's in this, Kingdom Hearts! <laughs> yeah, um, he so Kingdom this Hearts. is all... I, I <laughs> foresaw this, and I shared my story of internalized homophobia as a child to set the groundwork for you to feel that you were justified in including Samuel Hayden, all right? Um, and I just, also, I, I see that... I, I don't know whom's among us, but someone wrote Iron Bull twice... Steven, mm. was that by any chance you mayhap? I definitely wrote Iron Bull at least once. I see it twice right here. I'm just like, whomst among us whomst loves among the us, Iron Bull so much? Whomst among us definitely, you know what? I, it was subconscious, but that was definitely me who wrote <laughs> Iron Bull twice because that's all my section of the notes there. So, yep, I did I did love him so much that I put him on here twice. Everyone, I, Steven loves cops. Uh, Steven I likes do. cops. Hey, mm. you know what? Good cops stop being cops. And in my playthrough, Iron Bull forsakes the Kuhn. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. And mine too, because he dies because he tried to fight me at the end. and I <laughs> Natalie! Jesus Christ, man. And then right after that, Cassandra is like, go after Solus. And I'm like, yeah, Solus, by the way, I would kill everyone for you. We can, <laughs> we can save this world together, even if you mm. want to kill me. So maybe God, maybe there's... You. <laughs> maybe there's all... We all have a cop that we like. For me, it's the genocidal elf. Yeah. I'm trying um, to think of who my cop is. Hmm... Mm trying to think back to your list the nurses from well, they wear see, uniforms do you like yeah well and see my list my list is also not technically ones that i would like but just ones that i know people are like into, into. or familiar because i have mm. no interest in the silent hill nurse that lady's just gotcha. like a hot bod with a fucked up face um, do you like pyramid head then no because he's a dude yeah okay fair he's very wet though He's okay. Can we have that conversation now? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess so. Cause like my, I mean, my robot boyfriends don't like to get wet because that would like you know kind of interfere with their circuitry and stuff like that. Unless there's like special housing. That's actually one of the other things I like about robots uh, in general is just the like options for customizable attachments and genitalia and stuff like that like i don't think that can go understated when okay when cyberpunk discussion yeah i was gonna say cyberpunk <laughs> no fuck cyberpunk 2077 because they they promised me hundreds of different genital options and they're like there's two penises and one vagina fuck you yeah. give me a blowtorch <laughs> <sighs> anyway we were talking about our texture preferences <laughs> oh yeah because uh, it ties into the argument or like the exploration of because we've all been saying for each of these monsters like oh they're so hot but how do we define what makes a monster hot mm. Mm. Uh, well I think I set us off on the right path with uh, big hips yes I like big horns too like yeah, big thick horns Steven mentioned that uh, whenever they do like a character creator or like you know those pit crews, <laughs> <laughs> those pit crews they like put on horns. I think there's something there. Oh yeah, um, a lot of some... people are into the horns thing. Yeah, I, really, I mean, I look at Raphael from Baldur's Gate three, and I'm just like, yeah, love that. You're right. It is a grip. It me. is like a good grip. That's also like a utility. Like you could like open a can with those or like kill someone. And right, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's threatening. And I think we are, as human beings, often attracted to what we're most scared of. Like, I just spent right. the whole weekend in between my moves as someone who is very depressed, very anxious, very paranoid at all times, just watching Unsolved Mysteries on oh, Netflix. Yeah. Natalie's been watching a lot of Unsolved Mysteries lately. <laughs> yeah, and I recommended to tie Red Handed. That's like my favorite yes, podcast besides so all the podcasts good. that we have on Fanbyte. And it's just a true crime podcast, just like two ladies talking every week about some gruesome murder or something. And I have always adored just 
true crime and mm-hmm. unsolved mysteries and all those things. So that I was think, like one of the first things yeah. that that Mon- or I almost called you Monty. <laughs> Nat and I bonded over. Yes, yes. I'm so happy that you are listening to Red Handed. But yeah, I think there's something to be said for being attracted to what should be scary. I, I'm oh not yeah, sure. if it's not scary, I don't want it. Yeah. That's I mean, scaring it like fear and attraction and violence, uh, in particular, in a lot of like queer spaces, are like inextric- inextricably connected. Like you know, yeah. you look at something like it, this is even crossed over into mainstream stuff at this point. Like Hannibal is such a mm-hmm. uh, oh, fucking yeah. good example of that. Like uh, Killing Eve is now the the lady version of that. Oh of my Hannibal. god, yes. Oh. I st- uh, I wish that Killing Eve was as silly as Hannibal is. Mm, yeah. I wish it took itself more seriously, on the other hand. I feel like the last season sucked. But that's I haven't seen the newest season. I've only seen, I think, like, up to half of season two. But I like that, I like, like, in the in the vein, right, like, of this conversation to kind of tie it back, I think that, like, Hannibal is such a fun show because they were really able to just go all out with the magical realism, like, yeah, is Hannibal actually some kind of supernatural being monster? Right. Um, whereas, like, Villanelle is, like, very much mundane to a degree because she's just, like, a hit woman. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she's, yeah. like, she's scary in the sense that she could kill you, but, like, she's scary in the sense that, like, every person is scary. Like, she's scary in the sense that, like, that's why I have anxiety, you know? Like, she's right. not scary in the, like, oh, this might be something that is, like, not human or not of this world. Word. And and that that ties into what it's so good, impeccable, and and this all ties into what I feel is the most like succinct. Succinct is that how you say it? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, sort of summary of this entire concept of being attracted to monsters for me, which is from Lindsay Ellis's video, My Monster Boyfriend, um, where she says in the opening minutes, maybe the maiden isn't terrified of being carried off by the fishermen when talking about how women have been attracted to quote-unquote monsters in film and now moving on to like more mainstream stories like The Shape of Water. Um, Maybe she relates to the fishman. Maybe the fishman is lonely like she is. Maybe the fishman is treated the same way that you, a woman or disabled person or gay man or person of color in your unfair era, feel treated by society. Maybe that fishman just wants what most of us want, which is to feel loved and safe. And I think that it ties into so much of the attraction that a lot of especially queer people feel towards monsters which is just that feeling of connecting through the shared experience of being marginalized and being treated as other and being on the outside fringes of society and just seeing the humanity in monsters and also the hotness in monsters Mm -hmm. um so i think that's like a really good sort of summary of what makes monsters quote-unquote hot for me and what makes them interesting whereas before before i realized i was like queer and before i delved into all these like different things like i definitely like i was like my mom was like why would you you know see the beast as like you know more attractive as the beast than the you know human version of him but now that i think about it like i'm finding myself a lot more attracted to these quote-unquote monster characters and stories because of how they explore um those power dynamics yeah and i think there's a spectrum to that too of just like you know the fish man is like definitely on the one end of just like being afraid and wanting to be loved and being relatable in that way Mm -hmm. and i think you know creatures creatures People like Hannibal or creatures like Raphael from Baldur's Gate 3 are kind of on the opposite end where it's just like, ah, here's a thing that is other the same the way that I am, but is supremely confident and powerful enough and it expresses that power in and just, you know, inherently power is just kind of sexy and like giving yourself over to mm-hmm. power is a sexy concept a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And here's this like creature that can like, you know, command the stars and, you know, give life its fullest brilliance or whatever. Um, <laughs> or at least and, like eat you, right? Like- or eat you, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and then that like, you know, that's why I think you see things like getting outside of games again. Maybe not entirely outside of games, but things like corruption fantasies and stuff like that become kind of appealing too, because you can like give yourself over to that monstrousness and become a part of that confidence and like part of that like collective 
being and stuff like that and get a, a little piece of that for yourself um you know it's fun <laughs> it's yeah. kind of the at the end of the day uh it's fun and you know there's a there's a level of security in knowing that this thing that is that you can relate to is also like able to murder you at any moment that's <laughs> yeah. actually it's like sounds like a weird like contradiction but it kind of is the other thing i like too and that i think is like tied into my like weird fucked up like sexuality with regards to media is like I am very attracted to the idea of, like, someone, especially, like, femmes and, like, women um, who have been, who either are, like, monstrous, like, metaphorically or actually, like, then taking that monstrousness that's been pushed onto them by other people um, and using that to strike back at those systems. Um, Yeah. So, again, Mm -hmm. like, the mother... um, I like, like any kind of like, there's, I can't remember the name of the short story right now, but there's a short story I read in my horror class in college that I was like really, really taken by where it's basically like these rich dudes in England keep hanging themselves and it's always the same woman who's there with them. And so they're like, oh, it's her. She's like this supernatural monster that's like killing these dudes. And it's like, well, is she the supernatural monster who's forcing these dudes to kill themselves or is she being victimized by these men and using like a self-defense mechanism to get away from them? And it's just like this repetitive cycle. Um, and so like any any character that's like that, especially if they're like a high femme person, done, game over. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sure we are missing out on a lot of different parts of this conversation, a lot of different elements of monsters, some stuff that is probably some problematic aspects that we haven't touched on, but there will be future episodes of 99 Potions to go over a lot of these different things. I think this was a good, pretty tight hour of monster fucking content for us to go over today. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you, Ty. Monster fucker prime. (laughs) <laughs> the architect Monst- of monster fucking monster fucker <laughs> monarch that's me <laughs> uh we'll definitely have you back on again to talk about this and i'm sure other things in the future too i can't wait i have played uh, a couple other rpgs besides Ooh. dragon age yeah <laughs> many, <sure>. but some <laughs> let me tell you uh if you need one that's 192 hours long uh divinity original sin 2 play it on I- tactician mode I do mm. okay. No, I'm dumb. But, <laughs> um, I have. I do own it, and I've been meaning to start it with Amy from Amy from gaming. But mm. time zones are homophobic, so that hasn't happened yet. But, but I, I, everyone, I've it. had people be like, "Oh, let's like play it together," and I'm like, "No, that that is just impossible." Like, I'm convinced <laughs> oh, yeah. nobody can play this game with someone else and actually finish it. Like, this is a behemoth of a game. Like. It is as big as the attractive monsters in it. You need to just <laughs> dip in and just, like, dive in and, like, do it alone or else you won't. But the moment that you do, you will end up like Steven, uh, who has not slept uh, from yeah. finishing Divinity Original Sin 2. I had coffee. It's fine. It's the <laughs> same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll be definitely talking about Divinity Original Sin 2 next week, I'm sure. Uh, but in the meantime, if people want to hear our thoughts about RPGs or monster fucking or just anything in general, Ty, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ty underscore g and eight r's. Um, and if you want to read more stuff and see like videos and podcasts and stuff that I'm on, you can go to uppercutcrit.com. Beautiful. Natalie, where can people find you? People can find me at Twitter at HardyMecia. That's heart, I-M-E-C-I-A. And on fanbyte.com. Yeah. More and more now, actually, as it turns out. Yes. Yes. Hoo-hoo. Um, you can find me on Twitter at at Steven Strom, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. I always spell it out because a lot of people think that my, A, think my last name is Storm. <laughs> I get that a lot. Like your 14 character. <laughs> yeah, my Final Fantasy. Like, I literally my That Final one Fantasy NPC, Stephen Storm. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, all, to this day, from people who I have like known for years and interacted with on Twitter, have worked with or, and whatnot, still spell my name with a PH, like Stephen King. Uh, that's rough, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> my first girlfriend did turn into the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Does that make her a monster? Ooh. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Now, the moon. 
<laughs> Hang on, we've got another hour in a story. <laughs> no, we don't have another hour because I'm sure our, our wonderful, in fact, podcast producer Jordan Mallory, who I'm going to give a quick shout out to this week, doesn't have time for that. Needs to get this stuff done. Hey! Mm. Uh, also shouting us out in the chat there. Yeah. Uh, that's a, so thank you again to Jordan. Uh, last time we shouted out Jordan, um, we fucked up the audio recording, so I'm not going to force him to jump into the call or anything like that, but just wanted to know that, and everybody to know that, uh, Jordan is producing all of our podcasts from now on, so he's taking a huge weight off of a bunch of our shoulders and making a much better production as a result, so if you've noticed a, uh, rise in quality recently, that's why, and I just wanted to make sure he got credit for it. Yeah. Yay. Woo, Jono. Uh, and if you want to show your appreciation for Jordan's hard work or any of our hard work, you can go to your podcast player of choice and uh, give us a rating and a review on, you know, 99 Potions, on You Love to See It, on Fanwidth, on West Coast Office Hours, East Coast Office Hours, all that good stuff. That's the best way to show your support right now because it puts our shows in front of more eyeballs and we have a little bit of a podcast network that we've been building out over the last year and a half and it's been going really great and we want to uh, show it to more people. And I think that's going to be it for this week on 99 Potions. We'll be back again next week with John, I think, um, to talk about something. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but in the meantime, Natalie, you had a sign-off that you wanted to deploy this week. It sounded I, like. I did? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, so... Oh, wait, no, I fucked it up. Fuck. Um, <laughs> so we want to create our own sign-off, specifically for 99 Potions. So I brought up the classic, you know, fuck the church, but also you can fuck the dragons in every RPG. But I think we're still, uh, we might still be working on finding our sign-off. We're still trying to find our mm. footing on here. But for now, fuck the church. And also fuck the dragons and other monsters that you find yourself attracted to. And uh, keep tuned uh, to fanbite.com for monster fucking, RPGs, and many other things. Awesome. Well, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.